There are a lot of myths about being an entrepreneur, but one that is true is that the entrepreneurial journey is a difficult one, which is why when someone comes along that is willing to share their insights and their hacks of their journey, it's always worth a listen. Today, we have Gresham Harkless, a seasoned entrepreneur, creator, and the brains behind Blue 16 Media and CB Nation. Gresham has successfully navigated the challenging race of the entrepreneurial world, and he's here to share his secrets of success. If you're an aspiring or established business owner looking to level up, this episode is a goldmine of strategies and mindset shifts. We're going to dive deep into the race of the entrepreneurial journey, discuss how to set yourself apart, maintain peak productivity, and make your mark in today's competitive landscape. Gresham's passion for helping fellow entrepreneurs shines through as he reveals his top CEO hacks for maximizing efficiency and staying ahead in the game. So friends, are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go. Hey everyone, what's going on? I'm Mike Fancher and welcome to this episode of the MindFit Method Podcast. You guys are in for a really cool conversation today. With me, I have Gresham Harkless. Gresham is an unbelievable entrepreneur that works in the world of marketing, digital marketing, and the world that so many of us live in today, but it's going to go dive deeper into whether or not we can actually become creators of digital media and technology instead of just consumers of such. Gresh, it is so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Mike, I'm very excited to be here as well, too, and love everything that you're doing. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. You know, you've had an incredible journey as an entrepreneur. Can you share a little bit, like, how did we get here? Share a little about your story. And was there like a pivotal moment or an experience that really inspired you to start on the path that you're on now? Yeah, it, it's so funny that you you said that. And and I think the the most pivotal point for me was actually, you know, when I was a lot younger and when you're graduating from school. So I went to Georgetown for my master's, went to Howard University for my undergrad. And I came into Howard as an undecided major, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was on this quest to like figure out like, hey, what am I supposed to do? Like, what's my major going to be? And all those things. So you go through all of those things. And for me, I actually started to look back at myself as a kid. And when I started to look at myself as a kid, I started to see that I would, you know, sell potato chips on the playground. I would go to MJ Designs, which I'm not even sure is still open and get beads to make jewelry to sell those things. But one of the things that kind of stood out to me the most was when I was 10 or about eight, nine or 10, my dad was in the military. So he got his assignment to go to a different country. And that was my road dog, so to speak. You know, we would shoot basketball. We would do all the things together. And I was crying literally on the, the, um, the ride down to the airport, crying on the way back for weeks and weeks and weeks because, you know, of course I missed my dad. And what I did at that time was I started what eventually became like a family newspaper. And that family newspaper wasn't anything fancy. We obviously didn't have Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, all those things that we have now to instantly connect with people. So I would just go into Microsoft Word. I would throw some clip art in and I would talk about the things that were going on in our family. So there was a squirrel that I got into my grandma's house. So I talked about that. There was, you know, different facts about sports and things. I would blend all those things in. So it was literally my newspaper. So we would take that and put that in the care packages we would send to my dad. And then I would also sell some of the subscriptions to family members as well. And so I bring all that up to say that pivotal moment was kind of not at the time that I thought it would be, but it was by me kind of looking backwards and saying, hey, like, who am I? Like, what makes me tick? I, I didn't know a lot of people that were starting family newspapers. So I said, hey, I wasn't doing it, just following somebody or just trying to be like somebody. I felt like that was a kind of like a DNA of who I am. So Lo and behold, you know, years and years later, I ended up becoming an English major and I, I just really started to, to delve deep into like, how can I like be like what I like to call sometimes like a journalist and, and learn more about people and, and use like kind of like media as a way to kind of, you know, help promote people, but also for me to learn as well, too. So I would say more than anything else, like that was probably the story that was my pivotal moment It's kind of like my North Star, I guess you can say that I always go back to whenever I'm trying to like make those decisions. What's amazing is that literally as I was driving home today, I get crazy quotes that pop in my head sometimes. And for whatever reason, I was focused on the idea that as people start to design their life, I guess you could say, 
many people spend too much time being the architect and they never transition to becoming the builder. So they plan everything out in their head, right? This is what I'm going to be. This is what I want to do. But they never take that step to actually start. You made a decision that I'm going to start a, a family newspaper, right? Family news, whatever it may be. But you didn't just come up with the idea. You didn't just sit at a computer and create it one day. You, you saw it all the way through at a young age. That's impressive because I think that's something that so many people are missing at all ages today, not just being young. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. In today's world, I'm going to say that and see if you agree with me on this one. It's arguably the best and the easiest time ever in history to start a business, right? You can start it with a laptop. You can start it with your phone, really, if you wanted to. One of the things I know you talk about a lot is how you run your race, the entrepreneurial journey. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs or people that want to be entrepreneurs that may be hesitant to take that leap, take that first step, become the builder and not just the architect? Yeah, I absolutely love that builder and architect kind of analogy. A lot of times I feel like when you start to grow your business and you want to be like more of the architect as you get along but you have to have something that you built before that. So I love that analogy because I think we can skip past that and just plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and never put those things in place. And yeah, I would definitely agree with you that this is a time where you have so much opportunity and so many things at your disposal to start and build the business. But sometimes it can force people to get into analysis by paralysis and, and planning for it to be the perfect time, the perfect business in the perfect way. But I think one of the, the really awesome things that I've learned in, in reading biographies, talking with people and all of these really phenomenal opportunities I've had to kind of learn is that those journeys don't happen overnight and that people that are quote unquote successful and how we define it, take one step after another. And a lot of times their first step is a lot of times nowhere near their thousand step, their 2000 step, whatever that part of the journey is. And I think that when we are thinking about like how to start building things and we want to plan, of course, that's important. You want to understand how important, especially at that stage, doing is probably more than planning because those people that are taking that first step um, probably are going to have to pivot. They realize that they're on the right, wrong path. They realize they have the wrong shoes. They realize they didn't bring their water, whatever it is, they have to make some type of pivot or change along that journey to get to where they want to be. And I think that there's not enough kind of celebration, I guess, or awareness around the the fact that a journey is not a straight path. It's, it's definitely windy. It's scary. It's frustrating at times, probably more times than anything else, especially starting a business. But I think the difference between those that are quote unquote successful and make it are they continue to take those steps. They continue to kind of crawl when they can't take steps. They, they do whatever they have to do to move forward. And I think that's what really separates those people. And that's what we kind of have to embrace. It's not having it perfect so we can take a step, but taking the step, even though it's not a perfect time to do that. Completely agree, especially on the perfect time part, because everyone focuses so much on the perfect time. Perfect seems to be something, and I call it, it's because of the Instagram perfect world that we live in today, right? We imagine that anything we do just has to be to the T, has to be to the nines, has to be perfect in every single way. And that includes if you're starting a fitness program or you're starting a, a nutrition program or you're starting a business, right? One of the things that amazes me though is that, and I can use my own experience, when I started MindFit, I was sole employee. I was everything from the CEO to the janitor scrubbing the floors, right? It didn't matter. Anything that had to be done in between I had to do it. I was the only person that was there. And I think entrepreneurship has been glamorized a bit. I think when we think of entrepreneurs, we think of Steve Jobs, we think of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. And yeah, they're starting in their garage. But what we're seeing is, and I love that picture of just Jeff Bezos with the Amazon sign that you know he has in his garage. And everyone's like, Cardboard. oh my God, he went right from that to being a, a billionaire. No, no, he didn't. didn't work that way. <laughs> right. He wishes, but no, it didn't go that way. But talk to me a little bit because for me, I was probably working 18, 19, sometimes 20 hours a day, right? There were some long days and everyone's like, oh my gosh, the, you know, the physical toll on that is a lot. Physical toll was nothing compared to the mental and the emotional toll. And when I went from working my entire career in the corporate world to then moving into that 
entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur type world, I was fully ready for the physical stressors. I was not ready for the emotional and the mental stressors. A lot of entrepreneurs encounter challenges and setbacks along the way. Have you ever had one of those particularly challenging moments in your entrepreneurial journey? And how did you overcome it? Yeah, I've had many, (laughs) many, (laughs) many of them. And I don't think you can go through the journey and not have those. And I think one of the things, and I love that you said that because we talk a lot around the things that are important to business. And, you know, you want to make sure you have your finances in place. You want to make sure you're marketing correctly. You have your name, your website, you have an SSF, you know, all these things, you know, you need to have, but there's not as much information or awareness and maybe because it's a little bit harder to, to kind of hold in to, to quantify and all those things, that emotional and mental part. Um, when I started my business, it was probably one of the most difficult things that I do, but I, I'm a man of faith and I really, when I took the leap, it wasn't because I had an environment at that time that really kind of celebrated me to do that. So when you talk about that emotional and, and the, the challenging time is because I think you start to to feel that when you are feeling the isolation that is entrepreneurship, when you are a lot of times doing something that's different than everybody else that's around you. And of course, you know, again, going back to, okay, you might have the, the best marketing, you might have the best finances and the best business and all those things, but that emotional aspect is really, really hard to kind of get past. And that's why, you know, even as we were talking before this, that's why your why, like what fuels you ends up being sometimes the most important thing. When I thought back to like me being that 10 year old, to me starting all these things, I felt like that was truly in my DNA. It wasn't something I was trying to be. It was something that I was. And it was before I even knew who I was. I was just doing those things. So it wasn't me trying to feel like I I was trying to be something. It it was, I, I was that. So when I felt like I was going through those journeys and those hard times, the difficulties and the challenges, it was me saying, this is part of my DNA. This is part of who I am. It's part of who I, what I was born to be. So when you're going through those difficult times, you sometimes need that. And I always say, like, I, I took a leap of faith. And when I first started, I, I first started to do, and I had lots of different failures and things, but one of the ones that stands out the most is I wanted to leave a position that I had. And I wanted to do a lot of freelance writing at that time. So I said, this isn't the right place for me to be. So I'm going to start my business and I'm going to do that. So I was actually going around and trying to work out and be healthy and get all my quote unquote affairs in order to make sure that I was mentally strong, all of those things. And so I went to play pickup ball at a local um, church and I tore my Achilles tendon, not completely, but I tore it partially. This was literally... 45 days after I left the job. So the 30 days, as most people probably know, you have your insurance. Those 45 days were not within that insurance. So luckily I didn't tear completely, but talking about uh, the mental, emotional wear and tear is laying in bed and not being able to do the thing that you wanted to do and just manage yourself, manage yourself for taking that leap and, and feeling like you, you you just made your mistake, you ruined your life. Um, so those were some of the things that were kind of going through my life. But honestly, like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now was a result of that. So looking back, it ends up being like a redirection. And like I talked about, like going on the path and not taking where you, you know, wanted, you expect it to be. But honestly, like when I was going through that time, it was extremely difficult. And it honestly, it was my faith. And it, and it was like that DNA, me feeling like I know who I was and this is what I needed to do. And I felt like that kind of roadblock happened to me, largely because it forced me to redirect. It forced me into what it eventually became the blog and the podcast and all of those things because I wouldn't have done that had I not gone through that experience. And that's so easy for me to say now. This is talking like, you know, 10, 12 years later. But at that time, it was extremely challenging. And I, I felt terrible um, because I felt like I, I just literally messed up. And, and I think there's nothing that you can kind of say like during that emotional time, other than hearing other people's stories and hear how those things go bad. And sometimes they work out for the good to kind of keep you in that, that, that right frame of mind, I guess you can say. I opened my business in 2017. And if you're familiar with the uh, company ClickFunnels, was just coming out at that time. And I was following the founder, Russell Brunson, quite a bit. And I remember about two years into having the business, you know, COVID's happening, everything starts falling apart. Like it was just a really, really bad situation at that point. I remember waking up one morning and literally remembering something that Russell Brunson said. 
And it was that what his point when his business was going bad, he woke up one morning and just wished that he had a boss to fire him. And I remember feeling exactly that way. I was just like, because all those safety blankets that we're used to, those safety nets of, you said with insurance, right? That's gone once you become an entrepreneur. As you're, you know, you're buying your own insurance, but now you're spending thousands of dollars a month on really, really bad insurance. Add to that, there's no more unemployment. So you lose your job. Unemployment doesn't exist anymore. You're solopreneur, like you're on your own. All those safety blankets go away. So your mindset has to be with a unique balance of optimism and realism at the same time. And for me, that was the only thing that kept me going. It was tough. Let's talk about marketing for a minute because marketing has changed quite a bit over the last 10 years. It's critical, obviously, to any business. I don't think people realize that if you don't have leads, right, which are customers, essentially, it depends what type of business you're in as to what you call those things. It can be patients if you're a hospital. It's customers if you're a big box store. It's leads if you have a digital online marketing business. But in the end, it all comes down to behind me is actually Alex Hermosi's book, $100 million leads. And because that's literally the, the lifeblood of a business going forward. Let me ask you a really simple question with I'm sure not a, a simple answer. What does marketing look like today? It's so funny that you say that. I, I have a talk that I, that I give a lot and I, I say, and I truly believe like my marketing philosophy is that everybody's a, a media company. And I often give that analogy of uh, marketing to going to the grocery store to figure out what ingredients you're going to put into the dish that you're trying to make. So uh, to answer your question, I would say marketing is probably like you're going into your favorite grocery store and looking and saying like, what am I doing here? What am I making it? All of those things. And I think the, the gift and the curse, the, the tremendous opportunity is that there's so many ingredients. There's so many things that you can do to market your business. Even you can do and have the exact same business as somebody else, but you might execute it a completely different way. Even these marketing channels, if you look at, you know, platforms like Facebook or even LinkedIn or even this podcast, just all these things I look at as ingredients, you can do it in so many different ways. You can have one person that's doing a podcast in order to draw, you know, drive sponsorships where another person is using that podcast to build, you know, networking opportunities. You can have somebody that builds their business through Facebook, Facebook groups where another person is using Facebook ads and another person is using their profile. So it, it can get really, really overwhelming, but. I think it's so important that it's a tremendous opportunity if you're able to be very strategic with how you find the ingredients and put them into the cart, mix them up in the way that's going to help you get to where you want to be. And I think one of the challenges that most people have is that they're just looking kind of like what we were talking about from the nine to five, where you just wish somebody would tell you what to do. I think that that's a lot of the case for people that are going into marketing. Just tell me what the plan is. Just tell me what you did. So let me execute on that so I can get to where you are. But in reality, I think that that's not the case for marketing. I think it's more ingredients that you can put in and it can taste really, 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 really good. Or it could taste really, 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 really bad. And I think that's the case for a lot of people in marketing today. I think it's funny with the, I love, I love first off the analogy of the recipe. I think that's fantastic. Because I think that we live in a world today of Facebook ads and pixels and all of these things that can tie back to us. I think sometimes though, we still forget old school, traditional marketing that still works unbelievably well. I was listening to someone the other day talk about, they're an author, they sell their books. And you know they actually, I think what caught my ear was that they were able to figure out how to sell their self-published book in the bookstores in airports, which is an extremely difficult thing to do, right? You're not running Facebook ads to make that happen. Uh, you're not using SEO to try it. Like that is old school phone calls, emails, letters, sending, you know, sell sheets, stuff like that. And this guy has just crossed over 30,000 books sold in, you know, That's airport awesome. bookstores by going old school. And mm -hmm. I, th I think we forget that there are so many things out there. I talked about Alex Hermosi a minute ago, but I laugh when, you know, when he was trying to get his gyms going, the, one of his mentors said to him, you sending out like flyers? He's like, no. So he 
prints out a bunch of flyers, right? He hands them out and he gets like one person to sign up. It had no effect whatsoever. So he goes back to his mentor. He's like, I sent out all these flyers, nothing happened. He goes, well, how many did you send? And he goes, 300. And he goes, 300. He goes, our test model's 5,000. It makes you realize the amount of scale that is required when it comes to marketing. It's not a one and done. Let me just send this out. It's going to be easy. It's its own monster. It's its own Frankenstein monster in a way that you need to be able to create. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know you're the founder of Blue 10 Media, CB Nation. I have no doubt that you've encountered and utilized various CEO hacks for productivity and efficiency. And I know that you now teach them as well. Could you share what maybe one or two of your favorite hacks that have made significant differences in your own work or people that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's so many things out there and, and, you know, with Blue 16, especially it's, it's very challenging to, to, you know, look at all the different things that you have out there and get overwhelmed. Um, being on the podcast, there's so many different hacks that people lean into and use, but it's funny enough when I look at, I call them CEO hacks. Um, we can sometimes get glamorized by the, the sexy, the really phenomenal hacks because they can be like Swiss army knives. They do all these things. They can cook you breakfast. They can, you know, organize your, your doc. They can do all these things. But I find that the kind of the simpler things are actually the things that move the needle more forward more than anything else. And one of my absolute favorites, especially for Blue 16 has been our project management software. I've used Asana in the past, but we use Basecamp and Basecamp has been absolutely huge. Largely because everything that we're doing with every single client we work with is within our base camp. It allows you to not have things get caught in anybody's inbox, myself included, where if you're having clients correspond with and, and talk about different things that they want, they're looking for, they're sending out reports, anything like that, it goes directly through their base camp. So it literally has their files. It has any type of communication that you have, the tasks that you're going to work on. You can assign those tasks to people that are on the team. All those things that can sometimes get caught in our head now is in one place and it allows us to be in other places to, to make sure that we're serving clients on a, on a, a bigger and, and better level, and especially even with the podcast, just the number of podcasts that, you know, I've been able to do, like being able to kind of put those in one place and have the editor be able to find the documents that they need there and, and all those things. It just helps us to be a lot more well-oiled in all the things that we do. So that was definitely the number one absolute game changer. And, and this one is, is probably not as sexy either, but it's been my uh, scheduling link. And I use Acuity. So whenever I send that out, that allows people to be able to just book their time. And especially with the podcast, when I've had people on the show that are in different time zones, one of the most difficult things to do, and it sounds so small, but it's huge, is to be able to figure out what time of day it is for them and what time of day it is for me. And I've tried to do it manually and I'm terrible at doing it manually because I'm the guy that's going to show up two or three hours earlier, two or three hours late because I didn't do the math correctly to find out what time zone it was for me. So being able to send out that link just to make sure that you're on the same page is probably one of the really other big things. But I can go on and on and on. You know, it's one of my biggest passions is because there's so many things out there. And just like I talked about the ingredients, it's not so much what the software, the tool, the book, that that's the whatever can do it's how you implement it and execute it and kind of have it within your system so i think that's probably the biggest hack over everything is like how do you implement this into your regular activities so that you can be more effective and efficient and to me that's probably the ultimate hack it's funny you mentioned the scheduling software because as i was making a shift from being a solo podcaster where you know, for 40 some episodes, it was me talking, right? And literally what happened one day is I just got tired of hearing myself talk. So <laughs> I was, I really wanted to start interviewing amazing people like you. And I remember I reached out through Facebook Messenger, a couple people that I know, I was like, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And to my delight, they're all like, oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. I'm like, great. What time works for you? I don't know what time works for you. It was a disaster. <laughs> So I missed out on some really good people that honestly, like I really wanted on the show. I didn't know them. They were reaches for me right out of the gate. So some of my biggest (laughs) podcast guests would have been people that were huge that said yes. And finally, they're like, just send me your scheduling link. And I'm like, by what? Like, you want? (laughs) what do you want? And I waited like two months 
to actually sit down one day because I looked up, I use Scheduly or whatever it's called. And I, I looked it up and I was like, I got to put in all the times that I'm available and I'm not. I'm like, I'll do it another day. Yeah. And finally, one day, my wife said to me, are you going to start having like guests on your podcast? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I just got to figure out this booking link. And she looked at me. She's like, booking link. That's what's holding you back. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh. so I remember sitting down and it probably did take an hour, right? For me to yeah. figure out. But from that moment, I mean, 50 podcast guests booked in such a short amount of time. That was incredible. And, but it was such a little thing that was preventing so much. I think, like you said, they're looking for the big, sexy thing that's just going to change the world. That scheduling link changed my world overnight. It was that simple. Yeah. The other thing too, I think is so important is like, what are, what is someone's standard operating procedures from a standpoint of environment and setup? And again, I'll use the podcast as an example. I didn't like the way my videos looked on the podcast. So I would never post a video version of the podcast. It was only audio. I'd come in, I'd screw in my mic. I'd try to figure out where the light was like so much work that it got to the point where I'm like, it takes me an hour to set up for a podcast. Now, 45 seconds max, everything's done because everything's where it needs to be. The, the environment, the standard operating procedure of what happens on a night or on a weekend when I'm doing a podcast is so simple. But those, again, it's a, I guess you could call it a hack because it's just, it's being prepared. It's being ready. And I, I don't think people value those things enough. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head and you know, what's funny. Like I, just, I think one of the, the books I see behind you, Tim Ferriss, the tools of the site. And I think he talked a lot around the, the morning routine and it being one of those things. And the preparation is huge. And I find that even me, you know, I, I, I recently moved over the past like a year and a half or so. So having that environment completely uprooted and completely changed, like it's so underrated, Mike, just to be able to know where the lights are when you enter a room, like you take all those things for granted, but those are all new environments that you have, things you have to think about and go through. But once you get settled in, you start to see like, how can you prepare so that you can have some type of um, normalness to the chaos that sometimes happens when you're in a business, you're often like a firefighter putting out fires and doing all those things. So morning routines has been probably one of the biggest things for me as well, too, in, in that preparation, because sometimes it's, the, and I've heard it consistently on the show, is that that's the one time usually that you don't have a lot of the chaos or the firefighting that you have to do. So it allows you to prepare for the day even though you know the day is going to be crazy, at least you put those things in place so that you can kind of move forward. So I would definitely agree with you a hundred thousand percent on how much and how powerful preparation is. Yeah. I think that morning routine, I think everyone has their own peak productivity hours too. I actually wrote about that in one of my books. You have to know when, when are you on point? When are you on key? And if you're not, what are the things that you can do to get you there? You know, growing up like in college and stuff, I can't say I was one of those people that slept till one o'clock in the afternoon every day, but I like to sleep a little later in the mornings. You know, it was normal. I grew up in a household where my dad was a police chief. So like it was kind of strict growing up and you got up early and you did what you had to do. Now what's funny is my standard time to wake up almost without an alarm is right before 4 a.m. And my peak hours now are from four to six. The house is quiet. My wife's not awake. My kids aren't awake. I get more done from four to six than I would say many people get done in a full day's work because I'm just, I'm able to do it. And understanding those peak productivity hours are really key. Yeah. Right. Let me ask you a little bit because we've talked a lot about podcasting. We've talked about scheduling. We've talked about guests. We've talked about solo. Podcasting is huge today. In fact, I, I think I saw a study recently that said there's like, 10,000 new podcasts to start every single day. It's insane. Although very few make it past episode two. And okay. actually, I believe only 1% actually it makes it past episode 12, which is yeah, crazy yeah. to think. But that power of podcasting has become very evident. What are, the, what are some of the benefits that you think and the strategies for individuals and businesses that are looking to harness that power of podcasting as a marketing tool, as a communication tool, you touched on it a little bit because it can serve many different purposes. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of like, even when I talk about, you know, around like building a media company or your podcast ends up being like your media company. But 
one of the things that I always say is probably one of the most essential things you do before you jump into any type of marketing, especially podcasting, is figuring out like what your goal is. And I think getting clear on that is going to help to kind of direct your path a little bit more on how you're going to use podcasting, because there's many different ways that you can use it. You can use it as a way to kind of amplify your brand. If you have an e-commerce brand, for example, maybe you're going to use it to talk about the, the a little bit more of the behind the scenes on what the e-commerce brand is about, not just, you know, what it is that you're quote unquote selling, but ultimately why you're selling and what it means, like how the fabric's created and, and the behind the scenes of what goes through that process. So what you can do is start to build a little bit more brand loyalty because you're giving a little bit more of the behind the scenes on not just what the brand is, is, oh, I have a really cool t-shirt, but why you created it in that way, like what the colors mean, just all those things, a little bit more of the inside baseball of, you know, what that brand looks like. But another really big way that you can use the podcasting, which I think is very, very, very underutilized is going back to the old school kind of marketing one of the things we skip over is like relationship building when it comes to business. One of the guests that I've even had on my show, he talked a lot around content-based marketing, which is content-based relationship marketing, where you're using content in order to build relationships. So by having somebody on your podcast, you have already built and started to harness that relationship, but going a little bit deeper is where that opportunity lies. So I think one of the most underutilized um, ways to use podcasting is actually to build relationships. So for example, if you're in the marketing world, why not have other marketers on the podcast that can talk about other aspects of marketing that maybe you don't focus on or want to focus on? And who knows, they might end up being really great referral partners where they're giving you opportunities that you haven't gotten before. And I say that as a testament because that's happened to me where you have those conversations and those conversations, you know, start to go offline. And then all of a sudden you're getting a referral and you're getting an opportunity or you give it an opportunity. So all those things are, are phenomenal. But I think one of the things that we probably talked about, I think before we started is, is if you have a business, if you have subject matter expertise, one of the best ways that you can leverage podcasts, which I think this is the absolute best way to use a podcast, is to amplify who you are in your subject matter expertise. So if you have the opportunity to have a microphone, which we literally probably all do in our pocket, even if it's not a fancy one um, that we have, you have the opportunity to talk about why you know what you know. And I think sometimes we don't, and I myself struggle with this in terms of celebrating yourself and celebrating the things that kind of make you unique and make you different and the gifts that you have to share. And we talked a little bit about that before, like our, the gifts that we have, the experiences that we go through are not for us to hold on to, they're for us to share. And if you have that experience, that expertise, that thought leadership, why not start a podcast to be able to talk about what that is and, and drill down deeper on why you are great at what it is that you do, but also don't feel like you have to beat your chest. You can have potential clients and customers on the show as well too, and interview them on why they started to work with you. So it, it's really a tool that you can use in many different ways. It's just on how you wield it and what ultimately is your goal. Absolutely. I could not agree more. I think that when I started interviewing people for the podcast, I was very much looking for people that aligned very, very closely initially with MindFit, exercise, mindset, productivity coaches, things like that. Now I've had the unique opportunity to connect with people that literally blow my mind on a daily basis, like people that are just so amazing. In fact, yesterday's podcast episode that I released, I actually titled it How Podcasting is Changing My View of the World. And the reason I say that is you turn on the news today, it's an ugly world, right? There's so much hate. There's wars going on. There's death going on. There's division like I've never seen before in my lifetime. And to try to escape from it, right? Who do you normally talk to? You talk to your friends, you talk to your family, the people that are around you, your coworkers. But all of those people, you generally know their views. You generally know what they're good at, what they're not good at. And there's only so many people you can physically meet unless you're going to a conference every weekend. And then enter podcasting. And for me, podcasting was amazing because one day I'm talking to a kinesiologist who has the unbelievable ability of stopping the negative effects of a stroke while on the phone with the patient's husband, like unbelievable things. Tomorrow's episode that's releasing, we're obviously it's already going to be out by the time this comes out. 43-year-old mom, she's an American Ninja Warrior. 
and she had a broken back and now she's competing on American Ninja Warrior. Just things that are unbelievable that I never would have the opportunity to talk to from other countries, from other cultures, other businesses, everything. It's unbelievable. I can't, it, how do I put this? I recently had on uh, a woman named Colleen Greco. She's actually a joyologist, which was fascinating, really diving into the world of joy. What is joy? I remember asking her in the beginning, I was like, is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? Is it just the opposite of anger? Is it a skill? Like, could joy actually be a skill? What I've realized is that for me, podcasting truly brings me joy. This conversation that we get to have right now that we never would have had if podcasting didn't exist is unbelievable. And we get to connect with people that are phenomenal all over the globe. And I, I, there's nothing that I can say for, especially if you're in college right now, you got a lot on your mind, you got a lot to say, but you want to learn from others too. There's no better way to do it. And it costs you almost nothing to do it. In fact, you can easily run a podcast at no cost whatsoever, which is amazing. If you have a computer, you can do it. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. We talked about networking a little bit, especially in the world of, of podcasting. Outside of podcasting, what tips do you have for, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, effectively networking and relationship building outside of people you can meet in your just your local area? And we already kind of touched on podcasting, but what else do you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think funny enough, like the reason, the way that I started a business and, and, you know, fast forward a lot of years after my tour Achilles and I actually was, you know, in a job that actually was my favorite job where I used to work with um kids preschool. I used to go to preschools and I would teach sports camps at preschools. So the kids like two to literally five years old, I would walk in with a big inflatable Mr. Football and, you know, teach them how to throw it in and all those things, just excitement around it. It was just, hands down my favorite job. So I, I had that job. I left that job for a job that wasn't that good. I didn't think it was stable. And then that job wasn't stable. So I came back and then that job I ended up getting laid off from. So I went through all those difficult times and, you know, I, I, I ended up getting another job at that time. And this was all during like the economic crisis. So it was just like a chaotic time back in 2009, 2010. But my last job, I was doing outside sales and I was cold calling. Um, to try to get somebody to buy local advertising. So I cold call somebody in a networking group called BNI at the time. And so I call him trying to get him to buy advertising. And he's like, hey, I don't want to buy advertising. But my way to get through the door was actually to talk about his SEO, how it wasn't set up right, how he didn't have his title tag, all these kind of geek things that I felt were going to get me in the door. So I get in the door, I talk with him and he's like, no, I don't you know, I don't want any advertising, but I, I'm willing to like invest in you. So this, his name's Mike Moss and Mike Moss was the person that invested in me. And he introduced me to this group called BNI. And this group actually completely changed my life and it completely changed the way that I operated my business. I was super blessed to get that opportunity very, very early in my business because it helped me to understand what truly networking is about. And I think when you come to sometimes hear about networking, you're thinking, okay, how many business cards can I give out to as many people that are potentially going to buy my services? But in reality, what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out how you can help as many people as you can. And those people may in turn be able to help you or it may come from someplace else, but it's all about giving. And, and really big part of that group is about giver's gain. So to answer your, your question, I think one of the biggest things that you can do and you can give in so many different ways is by having somebody on your podcast, is by sending somebody a book, giving somebody a kind of work. There's so many different ways, making connections or, and facilitating relationships. But at the end of the day, if you're able to kind of step into um, potential opportunities and give, um, it's really going to set you up and in so many different ways, because at the end of the day, you know, givers get those opportunities to, to, to really um benefit tremendously. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would say. And, um, you know, there's so many different tools out there, you know, don't, don't minimize or really look at it. Like it's not as important to build and cultivate relationships with people that are around you in your local environment. I think those are people that are championing you. And especially for me, like being a part of that group, those were people that celebrated me at that time, probably more than I celebrated myself. And that's the only reason I'm here. And I was just in a really great environment. But sometimes by being in those great environments, you kind of have to step out and, and really talk with those people in your local environment. So those would probably be my, my one to two tips that would help. Love that. That's amazing. 
curious on your insight on this. There are two dueling cultures in the work world today. There's the hustle culture, then there's the work-life balance culture, right? We get to hear both. So you listen to people like Gary V and he's talking about you better work until you literally just drop, right? And you've got other people that are like, yeah, you need to, to work hard, but you need to make sure you're taking time for you and your morning routines and your self-care. Both can be very elusive for entrepreneurs, right? It can be very hard to do that hustle culture 24-7. And then you deal with the guilt of the work-life balance on the other side. How do you personally manage those two worlds? And what advice do you have for others that are trying to strive to find that equilibrium? Yeah, I was definitely very much so, I was consumed a lot of Gary B. So my whole nature was like hustle, hustle, hustle as much as you can. I got to work in that guilt that you talked about. I love that you brought that up because even when you're not working, even if you are putting in the 19, 18, 19 hours, you feel like, oh man, I need to only sleep three hours. I don't know why I'm sleeping these four days. You end up guilting yourself into like those unhealthy habits, I think you could say. But it's, it's funny enough, I'm going to throw another one in, in, the, in, the, in the options if I can, is I heard this phrase, work-life integration. And the reason that I love it so much is because I think that when you start doing entrepreneurial things, you understand the work that you have to do. But I think you also realize that you have a life and those two things are very much so interconnected. You can't separate the two. You can't, you know, I think so many times we try to do things in silos and I think it's being harder and harder and harder to accomplish that. So what I like about the work-life integration is that you start to figure out how you can, again, figure out what your goals are and how can you make your work support those goals and vice versa. So if you are a single mom and you're the only one that is able to make sure your kids are fed, make sure they do their homework and all of those things, maybe your work-life integration looks like working the 4 a.m.s or maybe it's the 8 p.m.s after your kids go to bed. So that's why I look at more of work-life integration of how you can potentially get the things that you need to get done, be effective and efficient in your way of doing that. But at the same time, not feel like you have to lose sight of your life and what that looks like. Now, don't get me wrong, you of course have to make sacrifices, but I think that if we can um, have that maybe mentality of saying, how can I position this so that it helps support where I'm trying to be, that I don't have to think win, lose. I can think win to win. And I just maybe have to do it in a different and a unique way. Then that's where you start to get into the work-life integration where you don't have to choose either or. You can actually have both. And it might take longer. It may not look exactly the same as you hope. But at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're working towards more integration of how they work supporting your life and your life's also supporting your work. I've never heard it phrased that way. I love that. That is absolutely golden. Absolutely love it. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I know, you know, Blue 10 Media, CB Nation, they really aim to, as I understand it, to support and connect entrepreneurs. Can you share some success stories or just any inspiring examples of entrepreneurs who have benefited from these platforms? Yeah, with uh, Blue 16, I, I think one of the big things that we do is we help to kind of build the foundation for people that are trying to to get their brands and their their businesses out there. Funny enough, like with CB Nation, I started it originally as that blog, uh, it's a blog and literally this is me laying in bed with a torn Achilles. This is when I started it. And I would use a tool called Hero where we would send out kind of questions to people, get a compilation of all the answers, and then we would compile those answers into blog posts. So I was doing this for years. I mean, maybe three to four years or something like that. And then I heard about this thing called podcasting. And I said, oh, well, let me try this. I have the recordings of the people I interviewed. Let me make it into a podcast. So that's how the podcast started. And when I said, okay, I want to try to make a daily podcast. So how do I do that? Like, who am I going to reach out to? All those things are going through my mind. And I said, okay, I've been interviewing and we've had these people featured. I don't even know. I haven't heard their voice. I haven't really talked to them. All we have is an email we post it. So why don't I try to get these people to be guests on the podcast? So one of the people that I had as a guest on the podcast, Dr. Jackie, she has a brain called Nomonaja. She told me something that really kind of changed my life, honestly, because I think a lot of times when you're working in the dark, you don't sometimes realize the impact that you might be having. So for her, she said that I, we asked the question of like, what does being a CEO mean to you? And she was able to answer that question. When I found out later, and this is years later, when I had her on the podcast, 
And she gave me a shout out because she said that by us asking that question and really made her reevaluate the things that she was doing in her life. And she started a brand that is now like Walmart and all these big, big companies, largely because she said, I asked a question for her. So there's obviously different stories and things like that that pop up. But I think that really resonated with me more than anything else because we work and in this culture that we have, we work, we want to see the results. And I'm no different than everybody else. We want to see the things happen. We just rolled up our sleeves for 18 hours. We want to see how many sales, how many leads we have. And sometimes those things happen instantly, but honestly, they usually don't happen instantly. So when I think about that story, it's just like a lot of times you just try to do the things that you think you're supposed to do. Like you talked about the positivity, you put the positivity out into the world. And sometimes you're making an impact. You you may not hear that till years and years later, but it's sometimes that, that in and of itself was like a really great reminder for me to just you know, keep doing what you're doing because you get discouraged. You feel like you're not making the impact that you want to. But sometimes when you hear those stories, it makes it all worth it. You know, I just heard someone say the other day, if you want to have a bigger impact on the world, learn to ask better questions. And you actually, you, perfect example, you did that. Such a a simple question, but it's obviously one that really made her dig deep into the insight of what is that role? What does it mean? all from a question. Ooh, that's amazing. Absolutely love yeah. that. Tell me like, what are you working on now? Any upcoming projects, initiatives that you're excited about and that you really think could have an impact on the entrepreneurial community? Yeah, just like you, I'm, I'm very much so in the, the productivity space and, and those CEO hacks that I've been asked, we've done 1600 episodes of the, of the podcast. And what we did was started to repurpose episodes. And, but one of the questions that we always asked on every episode is like, what was a CEO hack? which is basically like an app, a book or a habit that makes people more effective and efficient. So we've been kind of fleshing out and building out the directory of some of the hacks that people have shared on the show. Some of them that I use that I even touched on today as well. But what we want to do is take things, you know, to another level where, again, these sound really nice. And a lot of times the different softwares, their marketing is really, really good where they tell you all the things that you you can do. But the question is, how is it going to actually implement into your workflow, into the things that you're doing. So that's what we're hoping to do is trying to teach, of course, like what the software is, what it could potentially do, but actually probably give more tools and in information into like how people can actually use that. So that's, at, you know, ceohack.co where it has that directory of different hacks, but we really hope to take things to another level where we're showing you exactly how to leverage them, like the people that mentioned it on the episode and, and just seeing how you can do those things and, one of the big things that is, you know, many people are on either side of the coin is, is AI. And a lot of these hacks include AI or going to include AI. So even just delving into that and what that looks like and how, again, I, I think one of the powers of any hacks, including AI hacks, is how can it help support you? So I think if you have a vision of this is what I want to do, this is what I want to accomplish, and then be on a constant quest to like, see how can I be more effective and efficient in the things that I'm doing? then that's going to help support you and hopefully getting towards your goals. So we hope to kind of further help support, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners and CEOs in terms of implementing those into their, their overall workflows. I got to be honest, man, as you were just talking, there were two things that were coming in my head. One of them was an image of a book called CEO Hacks written <laughs> by you. And <laughs> I absolutely could see that on a bookshelf right now. And I would absolutely pick it up. Oh, um, nice. I think I could also see it. I could see a show. I could actually see a, a TV show. I, I'm imagining you walking into companies all over the world and meeting with their CEOs and diving into kind of like what Tim Ferriss did with Tools of Titans, but what are those hacks that they do? So, dude, that is amazing. And I wish you all the best. It's funny before, and I meant to say this before, you you talked about Backpack. Um, it's an unbelievable software program. I have used it as well in the past. It's also the, the founders and the creators of Backpack actually are the authors of one of my favorite books, which is Rework. And, you know, I think, again, talk about a, a hack, right, of being able to take the byproducts of, of things that you already produce and then remarket them and resell them in that world. But yeah, I meant to say that before and just something cool. Yeah. Well, lastly, let me ask this as we start to close here. What message, what piece of advice would you leave with the listeners, especially those that are aspiring to be entrepreneurs or looking to grow that business or looking to take that first step? What message will you have for them? 
I think one of the quotes that I heard, and I don't know who I heard it from, and, you know, I've always looked at to see, you know, where it was. When I was in those kind of dark moments or those unsure moments, I had a quote that I always lean on, and it's, don't tell me the sky is the limit of their footprints on the moon. And the reason that I love that quote is because, to me, it is kind of like a defiance where if people are telling you that you can't do something, then it's it's on you. And I feel like it's your obligation to really show them that you're able to do that. And I also think it, it speaks towards what I feel like I experienced a lot when I was starting my entrepreneurial journey. And still, you know, to this day, I think we always go through those things where you come across, you know, people that may not necessarily have the reality that there can be uh, people that can go higher than the sky. And once you start to realize that that is the truth, that you, you can do more than that, then you start to blaze trails. You start to do really phenomenal things. And I think that it's on us. You know, if there's that idea, there's that um, app, there's that CEO hack that you're thinking about that you want to create, then I think it's you that has the opportunity to do that. And don't allow people to tell you that you can or cannot do that because there's once people that said that you couldn't make it on the moon. There was once people that said that you couldn't. I was listening to this Will Smith motivational video. This is a lot of what I did. I consumed a lot of motivational <laughs> stuff where he said there was literally a time where people were laughing at the Wright brothers. There's no way that you can fly a plane. No one thought that you could take a piece of metal and bend it and literally fly it around the world. But yet we're doing that on a daily basis. So. I say all that to say that your quote unquote crazy idea, the thing that you want to do, that you want to, you know, try and pursue, it doesn't happen overnight, but, you know, take the steps and gradually get to where you, you, you can make that happen. But don't allow people to say that you can or cannot do anything. I think it's one of the most disheartening things that I, that I, that I hear people um, say, but I think it's on us to, to kind of change that, to show people, to, to be the change that we want to see in the world. And I think by adopting that mentality, that's the best way to do that. One of my favorite quotes is from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he said he used to love when people would tell him that it's impossible because in his mind, if someone told him it was impossible, that means that no one else has done it and he'll be the first. There you go. <laughs> there you, go. you make history. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Gresham, this has been a fantastic discussion. For people that want to learn more about your companies, about yourself. How do people find you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the best place to kind of go to see all the things that I'm working on is you can go to imgresh.com. That's I-M-G-R-E-S-H.com. And that has links to Blue 60 Media, the podcast, the CEO hacks, probably an upcoming book as well too, since you put that out for me, Mike. And all those awesome things that I, I am working on or need to be working on. That's amazing. Guys, don't forget in the podcast description, all of Gresham's links will be in there. So if you want to learn more about Gresham, his companies are the amazing things he's doing. You can see it right there. Gresham Harkless, everyone. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure is on mine, Michael. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Make sure you've clicked that subscribe button. You don't want to miss an episode. And we have a full year of awesomeness coming your way. So stay driven, everyone, and until next time.